0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of the Faith to Go podcast, your one-stop shop for everything you need to have faith discussions throughout your week, at home, and with your family. My name is David Tremaine, and I'm the Director of Outreach and Formation here at St. Paul's Cathedral in San Diego.
1: And I'm Maya Little-Sonia, and I'm a youth minister.
2: And I'm Jackie Pippin, and I'm the digital resource curator.
0: And Jackie, tell the people where in the world you are today.
2: I'm in California.
0: Wow. Palm Desert, California. Ah. Palm Desert.
2: (laughs) It is 105 today, and it feels
0: glorious. (laughs) Wow. That's hot.
2: It is so good.
0: It's definitely warmer than Japan.
2: And here. Definitely warmer, and I'm in love.
0: That's good. Mm. Um, So we're in proper eight this week. It's the week of Sunday, July 1st. Into San Diego Pride Month, so that's exciting. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. And so like every week, our Faith to Go resources are based on the gospel for this Sunday. You can find all those resources at www.stpaulcathedral.org slash faith to go, where you can also sign up for our weekly email that goes out every Sunday that includes all of the resources for each of the age groups in it. Um, So before we get started... Um, Maya is going to read the gospel for this Sunday, which is Mark 5, verses 21 to 43. Yes. (laughs) And then we're each going to highlight something that we hope you take into your conversations this week.
1: When Jesus had crossed in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered around him, and he was by the sea. Then one of the leaders of the synagogue named Jairus came, and when he saw him, fell at his feet and begged him repeatedly, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come, and lay your hands on her, so that she may be made well, and live. So he went with him, and a large crowd followed him and pressed in on him. Now there was a woman who had been suffering from a hemorrhage for twelve years. She had endured much under many physicians, and had spent all she had, and she was no better, but grew, but rather grew worse. She had heard about Jesus, and came up behind him in the crowd, and touched his cloak. For she said, If I but touch his clothes, I will be made well. Immediately, her hemorrhage stopped, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. Immediately aware that power had gone forth from him, Jesus turned around, turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my clothes? And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing in on you. How can you say, Who touched me? He looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling, fell down before him, and told him the whole truth. He said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. While he was still speaking, some people came from the leader's house to say, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the leader of the synagogue, Do not fear, only believe. He allowed no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the house of the leader of the synagogue, he saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. When he had entered, he said to them, Why do you make a commotion and weep? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. Then he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means little girl, get up. And immediately the girl got up and began to walk about. She was twelve years of age. At this they were overcome with amazement. He strictly ordered them not to show it, to, that no one should know about this and told them to give her something to eat.
0: Uh, so that is one of my favorite stories in the whole Bible. Um, so there's a lot happening here. Just to provide some context, this is this is right after last week's gospel. <clears throat> Almost immediately after it, but uh, it's in the next chapter. And so last week, you'll remember that Jesus was on the... Uh, sea of galilee with his disciples in a boat and he calmed a storm he's just going back and forth back and forth across the sea of galilee in a boat right now he's back on the jewish side with this where the synagogues are that's why we have a leader of a synagogue running up to him because that's where he lived and that's the context for the gospel for the story um we're in chapter five of mark and jesus is kind of doing this back and forth across the sea of galilee with his disciples. So I think Maya is going to start off the conversation with her point that she wants to highlight.
1: So this is also one of my favorite stories in the Bible. Um, so we see two different people being healed here. We see the woman with the 12-year hemorrhage and Jairus's daughter. But we start off with Jairus coming to Jesus. And I just kind of wholeheartedly relate to both Jairus and the woman being healed, uh, it says that Jairus fell to his uh, feet and was begging Jesus to help with his daughter. And then the woman kind of, like, collapsing and and reaching out and then telling Jesus everything in fear um, and told him the whole truth. But it's also important to point out that, you know, Jairus was, like, it says repeatedly, the leader of the synagogue, leader of the synagogue, the leader of the synagogue. Like, he was not supposed to asked Jesus for help. He was, if anything, not supposed to associate with Jesus or denounce, like, Jesus. Um, and the fact that he has so much faith in Jesus to, or, like, a last-ditch thing where it's you can heal my daughter from this infirmity because nothing else can um, speaks a lot. Um, I I just relate to that kind of last-resort-type faith where I have situations in my life that are extremely heavy and cumbersome and I feel like I should or I can or I can't share that burden with anyone else and that I can resolve it or try to deal with it or cope in every other method that I know how besides talking to God about it or like praying or having a relationship with God like God doesn't I don't want to bother him with that you know he has better things to do and thinking that I can handle it when I can't and then I just fall to my knees uh, and just it's exhausting when you try to do things yourself and just that last ditch like help me please when like the woman that had the hemorrhage it said that you know she had suffered under many physicians and she was doing what she was supposed to do she was trying to go through the what you do when you're sick, you know, and that she had exhausted all her resources and that spent all she had. And I think that's really relatable in a way different, like goes past monetarily spending all she had, but also just like giving it all (laughs) to just her emotional resources, her, her life just drained, um, because of how she was suffering and, what she was doing wasn't working. And I feel like I always have to come to Jesus with that kind of collapse and begging for like mercy and mm-hmm. relief when I, when what I have been doing isn't working. Yeah. And so I can just relate to that.
0: Yeah. There's that feeling of like, I have, I have all the resources that I need to figure this suffering out and to get myself out of it. And that i that I know for myself and, <clears throat> Yeah, you're right. With her, she's she has been she's been suffering for 12 years, and um, she has spent not just all her money, like you said, but it says in the text she spent everything that she had all all the things, all the resources that she had in her were gone, and it really is that you might you could call it rock bottom. Um, but there's that feeling of just total and complete exhaustion and that willingness to just, that willingness to give everything over to God, whatever that might mean for people. And there's something about that moment when you say, okay, I don't know how to do this myself. God help me. And when she's saying that she doesn't know what else to do and she has heard about Jesus, And she kind of like gives up this this last resort because it's pretty clear that she, just like the girl, is close to death. Like Yeah. She doesn't have much she doesn't have much more many more options.
1: There's nothing left.
0: She doesn't have resources for doctors and things like that.
2: And I think there's that element of of in society we are told that we have to be strong and we need to put on this strong face. And for her to be for them to both be so open about their struggles is just such a brave thing to do. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think also a reminder that we can we can let Jesus into all of the struggles and frustrations in our life. Like they don't have to be big enough to be worthy of his attention mm-hmm. and worthy of us praying about it. We're mm-hmm. right. dark, dark enough. Right. or dark enough.
1: He doesn't want to help me with certain things. Or I'm not worthy yeah. of that help yeah. because I put myself in a situation or, you know, for whatever reason, I don't think I deserve to be
0: healed. Yeah. So. Yeah. Amen. Um, I think I'm going next. You are. Yeah. So mine is about that moment in the story when the woman reaches out and touches Jesus um, because she says... I love this. The narrator has this kind of omniscience about um, what her thoughts are in this moment. You know, Um, she had heard about Jesus uh, and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak for she said, if I but touch his clothes, I will be made well. And then immediately her hemorrhage stopped. So in this translation, the, this is translation as, you know, she's hemorrhaging or bleeding, or, but really this is menstrual bleeding is what we're talking about. And so in this culture, uh, based on the laws in Leviticus, if you, are, if you have your menstrual cycle, you are unclean for seven days after your menstrual cycle ends. And so if she's been, if she's had this irregular period or some sort of like irregular bleeding. Like heavy bleeding and stuff, yeah. On and off for 12 years, that means that for 12 years she's been ritually unclean and impure in the eyes of of the Jewish culture that she's in. And she's a single, assuming single woman with no children because she can't have children. So we can own, this is, she represents a person that is as far out on the margins as one could possibly be. Like there's, she's not allowed anywhere. She's not allowed to touch anything. She's not allowed to touch anyone because if she touches anyone, they become unclean. Or
1: touches anything worse than someone else touches that thing. Yeah.
0: So, if, and if she, right. So if she touches something, it and becomes unclean. no one else unclean.
1: touches it. Yeah. Sits on a park bench. No one can sit there anymore. So
0: she is completely and totally cut off. From everything to the point of not even being able to have human physical touch interactions and i think that i what i love about this is that she she has been living in that reality of being totally unworthy of human contact and interaction for 12 years now that's been her whole experience of life and and there's a this unworthiness in what how she's thinking about trying to like even approach Jesus. It's she doesn't. Jairus has a particular place in the culture as the leader of the synagogue. Jairus feels comfortable just running up to Jesus and falling at his feet and talking directly to him.
1: If anything, he feels like he's talking not down to him, but yeah. like yeah. at
0: least on like a level playing field of like you know, Men. yeah, exactly. <laughs> Exactly. But she, her, even her approach to how she's going to get into contact with Jesus is very is so humble and, and has such that – and it resonates with my own feeling of unworthiness that I've felt in my life. And so she has this – she feels her own unworth and it manifests itself in the fact that she thinks all I have to do, if I just touch the, just the corner of his cloak, that will be enough. And I know what that I, in a very different way, obviously, but I know what I've felt like when I felt most unworthy. And when I felt most unworthy, I felt the most disconnected from any feeling of being beloved by God or being in relationship with God or even feeling worthy of being in relationship with God or with Jesus in any way. And so the amazing thing to me is that in her unworthiness, approaching Approaching Jesus, feeling so unworthy, she touches the hem of his garment and she finds out that there is no such thing as a marginal relationship with God. There is only one on one intimate relationship with God. There is no such thing as the margin in the kingdom of God, there's only the center and that she reaches out for this little piece of Jesus and she gets all of him. She gets a full interaction and relationship with Jesus in the midst of this huge crowd that is pressing and pressing and pressing and pressing. And that's just so amazing to me because that that feeling of, I am unworthy, if I just get a little glimpse of God, I'll be happy. And having that feeling in my life, realizing that God loves me, and that I'm not unworthy. Um, that's the feeling that I get reading this story.
2: So that leads into my point about the woman. So so my point focuses on verse 33. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling, fell down before him and told him the whole truth. Um, and this really relates to the unworthiness of feeling so guilty and so unworthy that you are going to word vomit everything that you can possibly <laughs> hold in your brain right now to Jesus. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and I, and I think that that's really powerful to, you know, the unworthiness that she felt in her heart and in her being as a person. And I and I think you know Jesus makes this point about what what does it mean to change our fear to faith and and this transformation that is waiting to happen to this woman and this promise from Jesus of the ultimate good in the world and I think that that is something that is kind of overwhelming to think about like when when we feel un- unworthy and when we feel doomsday in some ways that feels easier than when we recognize that there is ultimately good in the world Uh and we need to seek it out. Uh Um, and so she falls down and she confesses everything to Jesus and, and she's surrounded by people. And that vulnerability is something that really lets down her guard and lets down her fear so that she can be ready to receive the faith in Jesus mm-hmm. that she needs to be healed.
1: Mm-hmm. I think a lot of us tend to catastrophize everything, but not vocally. And in our heads we run like we our thoughts just snowball a million miles like a second where it's well what if this happens? What if this happens? What if this happens and the world's going to end. And so the fact you did that like publicly because I'm not going to tell anyone like my fears and my snowballing and my catastrophizing and my cognitive distortions. And it's like I don't know. I can definitely just relate to her, blurting everything out, and he's like, "Okay, no, it's cool." Like, well, not like that. he's not like, "Oh, chill," though. No. Um, not like that, but it's a lot less complicated and a lot less—not less than it she intended it to be. But you know, it's like I'm not mad.
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah and there's yeah. that that thing, that feeling of not only am I not unworthy, but in this, within this giant crowd of people, I am like. Jesus is interested in having a one-on-one relationship with me. And so there's, like, a uniqueness to my union with God. But I am so far part of God that Jesus is, like, referring to me as a child, as, like, daughter, like he refers to her.
1: I just feel like God sometimes says to people or says to me, like, God, why, like, not God, but, like... (laughs) don't you just know? Like, don't you know how special you are? Like, don't you know how much I care about you?
0: Mm-hmm. And I love that. I I do that. I do love that um, That she fell down and told him the whole truth, like, in fear and trembling. Maybe, maybe in response to, like, feeling like she had done something wrong, but also possibly just in response to the awe she was feeling about what had just happened to her. Because she right. can tell that something, that she's been healed. Right. And... And that I've you know, we have a rite of reconciliation in the Episcopal Church. It's in the prayer book and anybody is it's available to anybody to do with a priest. And it is really like a conf- like a one on one confession. And there's something amazing about like you can I've done it before and there is a some something so cathartic and unbelievable about just like you said, just spilling your guts. <laughs> like just telling the truth of yourself and your experience and where you've come from and what has happened and what has what has been your source of suffering. And somehow in doing all that, you get to the end and then you hear the voice of God, the voice of Jesus saying, daughter, your faith has made you well. Son, my, your faith has made you well. And yeah, there's... Little lamb there's wake up. Like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. There's that cathartic. And it only can happen when, like, I get to the end of my rope of being like, I can't hold all these, I can't hold all this stuff anymore. Just like right. Maya was talking about.
2: Well, and I think there's there's an element of, of being able to honor your story and tell your own uh, story. Uh-huh. You know, this is something that she, this has been her, defined her life uh-huh. and it, and it's still going to define her life even though yeah. she's healed because she has had this incredible journey. And yeah. so owning that story and being willing to tell it and share it with others yeah. is such a powerful thing.
0: So I think we have three things now. Pretty good.
2: Yeah.
0: Um, point number one that we hope you take into your conversations this week is Um, about that feeling of being at the end of your resources and Mm. being able to, in those moments, let go of all those things that we're trying to keep in the air and know that God is supporting us and healing us. Um, The next one is about unworthiness and... Recognizing in our moments of feeling unworthy that we are actually loved and adored by God and children of God and that we are in this back-and-forth relationship with God at all times. And then third, that feeling of truth-telling and telling our truth and being able to be vulnerable and courageous and put it all out on the line, even when we are feeling that unworth and that lack of resources. So, after hearing that conversation, uh, Maya is going to read the gospel one more time, and see if you hear anything new this time through.
1: When Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered around him, and he was by the sea. Then one of the leaders of the synagogue named Jairus came, and, when he saw him, fell at his feet and begged him repeatedly, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her, so that she may be made well and live. So he went with him. And a large crowd followed him and pressed in on him. Now there was a woman who had been suffering from from hemorrhages for twelve years. She had endured much under many physicians and had spent all that she had. She was no better, but rather grew worse. "'You see the crowd pressing in on you. "'How can you say, who touched me?' "'He looked all around to see who had done it. "'But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, "'came in fear and trembling, "'fell down before him and told him the whole truth. "'He said to her, "'Daughter, your faith has made you well. "'Go in peace and be healed of your disease.' "'While he was still speaking, "'some people came from the leader's house to say, "'Your daughter's dead. "'Why trouble the teacher any further?' "'But overhearing what they said,' Jesus said to the leader of the synagogue, Do not fear, only believe. He allowed no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the house of the leader of the synagogue, he saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. When he had entered, he said to them, Why do you make a commotion and weep? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. Then he put them outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means, Little girl, get up. And immediately, immediately the girl got up and began to walk around. She was 12 years of age. At this, they were overcome with amazement. He strictly ordered them that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat.
0: Alright, well that's our episode for this week. Uh, make sure to go check out all those faith to go resources at www.stpaulcathedral.org slash faith 2 Follow us on Instagram, at faith2go, and make sure to rate and review this podcast to help other people find it. Uh, we'll be back in your feed next week, July 8th, with Proper 9, but until then, thanks everybody for listening, and we'll talk to you later. Bye!
2: Bye! Thank you.